2: Ahoy! Truth and Justice listeners, Zach has a nice introduction for you. Welcome
0: back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 18, Jacob Santiago's Interview.
2: All right, this week's follow-up is jam-packed. We're actually starting it even a little bit early because we've we've got some updates on the West Memphis Three. I've got thoughts about Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott's uh, interview with Zach and Janet about Javier's interview. I've got thoughts about Jacob's interview. I've got some information about where we're going from here. Uh, We've got a lot to cover, so we're going to get right into it after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I have a lot to talk about. Obviously, I was gone last week out on assignment. So, uh, Jack and Zana did the true Jack and – Zach and <laughs> Janet? I thought, I, it wrong no, so I thought you confident. did that on
3: purpose. You
2: were so confident. I was, was <laughs>
3: positive you were doing a bit. I, heard I it. was positive I heard you were doing a it bit after I
2: said it. <laughs> Zach and Janet did a fantastic job with the truth and just us episodes. Um and and uh, thank you very much because there was there was that was supposed to be a dark week. We had booked this a year in advance that last week was going to be no episode. Uh, that was all their idea, and they did a fantastic job. And so for the first time literally ever, I had to listen to two episodes of my podcast that I wasn't on. I've never, ever done that. Uh, so it was an interesting experience for me, um, and you guys did a great job. Uh, the follow-up was was absolutely fantastic. You guys did awesome. So thank you, uh, both of you guys, for stepping up and doing that. Okay, you're not we gonna were say very anything. excited
3: uh, that you were so happy. I wish, that I, I wish I didn't admit how happy that made me that you were pleased, but I was very excited yeah. and happy.
2: You guys did great. Well, thank you for entrusting us to do this. We really appreciate it, Bob. Yep, you guys did great. And now I have a laundry list of stuff to talk about. One, first, just a little housekeeping, new information on the West Memphis 3 case and Damien Echols' case about testing the evidence. Uh, just yesterday, they filed their notice to appeal. So Zach had mentioned they had some trouble getting the transcripts. They finally got them. And uh, they have not filed an appeal yet, but they filed a notice to appeal. So they they they've basically put the state and the judge on notice that an appeal is coming. And I believe they're sending it directly to the Supreme Court, the Arkansas State Supreme Court. And the reason for that, I think I'd mentioned this in another episode, uh, is because the, the, the Supreme Court has already heard arguments for this case. And typically, I guess, in Arkansas, once they've heard it, that that's kind of default where the rest of any appeals go. So, uh, sounds like it's going to be from what I read in the in the short order there or notice was that it's going to be filed to the Supreme Court. So we'll keep you posted on all that. Uh, another thing, if you guys haven't been on the Facebook page, I'll try to get it up um, on on Twitter as well. Uh, I didn't go through the case file. Came across a video. It was it was coded funny, and it did, I just I, I saw this video file and didn't know what it was. I had to convert it to something I could watch. And it is a video of one of the investigators going back to the crime scene a few days after the the murders, and videoing. You know, they had marked the spots where they found footprints along the trail. We covered that. I don't. I don't remember what the title of the episode was, but the case documents are all there. Where I think it was Eichert, uh, the the detective, had walked the trail, marked as evidence all the footprints along the trail. Uh, well, they went. They they had kept those marks down and actually put a piece of rope. Uh, Winding, connecting the dots of the wheelbarrow tracks all the way back to the point of origin, which was originally just called the termination point. Uh, Keep in mind that in the original report that night, there was nothing about a disturbance. It actually said there wasn't any sign of disturbance. It just called it the termination point. Later became an area of disturbance. And I think by trial, they even said, oh, there were just footprints everywhere. You could tell something happened there. Um, None of that was in the original report. Uh, But the video is worthwhile. A lot of people have had trouble visualizing the area and what it looked like, uh, especially like what it would look like to move that wheelbarrow. And I think it's pretty, it's pretty telling for a couple things. Did you guys both watch it? Yeah. I did not. So Janet, you watched it. What did you think about it?
3: That was so helpful to me because I can hear about a distance and unless I sort of see it paced out, either me trying to do it myself just at some random location or seeing a video like that at the location. you do, I, I just can't envision how far away it is. For one, it was really far away. That's a long video going a yeah. distance. And I think I saw some comments on the the, the video itself that uh, some other listeners commented on, which was um, how much it sort of twists and turns. Um, mm-hmm. That was really interesting. And I was very curious about what all of the numbered points meant so, that's you're saying footprints. that was where the okay, so that's where footprints were. Okay,
2: yeah. So, when, when I watch it, the first thing that, that caught my attention was again the, the terrain, how far it is. Um, just imagining like hauling a body from that location in th- that route, uh, it, just, it, it just seemed tough, especially in the dark at night. And, and by the way, I should say, I said I posted it on Facebook, I posted it on our YouTube channel, it's on the Truth and Justice podcast. YouTube channel, and I linked it. So you, so any, anybody can go to our YouTube channel and find it. But the other thing I noticed was when, when, again, this this all gets muddled later, but if you look at the original investigator, when they first walked the trail, they only found a few footprints. They marked them all. It was like a half a dozen footprints along the trail. What I noticed in watching that video was if you look at the ground, look at how many footprints there are just from investigators walking around up and down the trail. And the point is how easy it is to make footprints in that sand. They're everywhere. I mean, it looked like every step anybody took, there yeah. were prints in the sand. They were all over the place. And it got me to thinking like, it, it, it reinforces the idea to me that, in my opinion, I don't think that wheelbarrow had anything to do with this crime because if it's that easy to make footprints, and those footprints have been there for a couple days because they, you know they they walked up and down when they investigated the night of they came back a few days later and made this video the 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 mur- the night of the murder so we're talking an hour or two after the after the murders happened and they go back and take they only find a few partial prints along that wheelbarrow track and the wheelbarrow track's not even steady it's broken it's broken up and that's why it's why it like cuts corners And stuff, because it just disappeared and then picked up again, then disappeared and picked up again. And
3: Wait, the track, the wheelbarrow track disappears, but there's supposed to be the weight of a human body in it?
2: That's my understanding, which I always thought, well, it must be because they went over like hard, like rocks and stuff. So, And that could be the case. Uh, But it wasn't a solid track all the way back. But what got me was like, well, those prints that we see there now are two days old. And, you know, some of them, and they're so easy to see. Then how would it be if two guys hauling a body in the wheelbarrow walked that track and then two hours or three hours later the officers went back and checked it that they only found a couple of footprints? And the conclusion that I come to, and again, this is just my opinion, but the conclusion I come to is I'm thinking those tracks were old. Like many of them had, you know, through for because of wind and whatever had been blown away and there were only a few tracks left along along the way
3: and just to clarify the whole narrative we've had up to this point is that there were never tracks leading out to the spot only tracks coming in from the spot so the idea of how the wheelbarrow would even get out there is like it just had to have happened to have been out there where something happened and they were like oh good here's a wheelbarrow we'll use that
2: and what I had thought from the beginning was I bet that it, the wheelbarrow had been used, pulled back and that there were just some partial tracks left from when they hauled it back in. and that's kind of what I always thought. I just the problem with it so the state needs that point of terminate that termination point to be part of the crime scene because another 20 20 yards 60 feet or somewhere away from there is where they find this business card. and they so they need that spot out there to be part of the crime scene in order to connect the business card to the crime scene, in order to connect Christian to the crime scene, in order to connect Robert to the crime scene. And I just, so, you know, it may come across as biased. You look at it yourself and tell me what you think. But when you look at that video and see the footprints, that's what the footprint should have looked like. If three people walked out there, there was a scuffle and a murder, and then a 130-pound body was put in the wheelbarrow, and two people pushed the wheelbarrow back, there should be more than six footprints. There should be a whole clear line of footprints.
3: Did they later identify or at any time identify footprints leading up to the quote-unquote scuffle slash termination point? No. That would suggest, yeah,
2: okay. In in fact, it was so easy to make prints that the firemen first had followed the tracks back there. They stayed away from them, but they had followed like the wheelbarrow tracks back, and they had to— Get photos of the boots of every single fireman because the fireman had left so many tracks out there. And I think those are the tracks that we're seeing in that video or from the firemen mm-hmm. who were, you know, they they knew enough to stay away from it. But they were walking, looking at the path with flashlights. I don't understand how just an hour or two before that all of this went down and they didn't leave footprints all the way along. So and and
0: are all the footprints that they have found their incoming footprints? There's no outgoing footprints, right? So like Janice, said, I mean, it seems like there has to be How outgoing footprints too. If there's not, yeah. if there's going to be inbound, yeah. there has to be outbound as well.
2: Yeah. And that's what I was saying back at the, it, when we covered that girls like this, it, it is miracle themselves out there. There should be tracks going. I, I think there was probably some windy days that blues, you know, there, 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 are spots where bushes or whatever would protect certain tracks from the wind. But you, you see the terrain, there's a lot of open space and there's a lot of spots that are covered by bushes. So, anyway, go to the Truth and Justice YouTube page, our YouTube channel, check it out. Tell tell us what you think. That's just my opinion of what it is. When I saw those footprints, it was very telling to me. Uh, It's also a weird route that they took. It's just just, everything's, and if nothing else, it'll give you a good picture of where all this took place. Because it's the, you know, I've been there before, so I know, but I know that it's hard to imagine. That's the best video we have to really show how things shake out on that note as far as youtube and the truth and justice youtube channel one thing i really i didn't realize that i've never really made clear or haven't recently until some issues came up last week while i was on vacation the official page that is that is endorsed by this podcast on facebook which we have actually changed the name now is the official truth and justice podcast fans page there's another page out there called the truth and justice discussion page I have no affiliation, zero affiliation. It it, it the, the page is run mostly by people that were booted out of the official fan page. So when you, when if you're on Facebook and you see people saying, "Oh, I went to the other page and everybody was hostile," and that's the discussion page, go to it if you want to. I don't care, but I just need everybody to know that is not our page. We haven't. They're they're using my artwork. They're using my name. I'm I'm working on getting them reported for copyright violations for using my artwork and name on their page. But that's not us. If you want to go to where the discussion is, where I'm at, where Zach's in there, is the Truth and Justice Podcast fan page. And it says official Truth and Justice Podcast fan page. Uh, And that came up because while I was on vacation, there was a video leak that caused a little bit of a stir. And that's one of the other things that I want to talk about. I got a call from um, someone related to the case wanting to know where I got a video that I posted on YouTube. And I had no idea, of course, what they were talking about. Well, th- these people thought that the discussion page was my page where they had posted this. And there's like a YouTube channel that's also using my name that had that posted this video. And it's a video of an interrogation, if you want to call it that, with, with Christian in 2012. So six years later, when he was in the, the military, he's in the army. He had just got back from Afghanistan. He had been shot through the arm and was in recovery. And, uh, the cold case investigators, uh, Vargas was one of them, uh, went and interviewed him at the army base and it was put up. And and I just want to address it briefly here. I'm not posting that on our page because there are a number of legal issues and privacy violations with the video. Um, So I'm not, I'm not posting it. The reason I haven't posted the videos that I have of interrogations is because privacy laws say you can't put up somebody's likeness without their, without their permission. Particularly in California, these are not public record, uh, so you can't put these videos up. Well, and this video was not even in the file. I had never seen it. Family members of Robert and Christian hadn't seen it. They, they knew about the situation. But so here's the thing. So there was someone who had access to this, what I think would have to be someone either in the DA's office or closely connected to the DA's office, had this video, and sent it to that other group and apparently directed them to a timestamp on the video where they think they hear Christian confess. And it's like a Robert Durst, the jinx type of confession type thing. Like the interviewers leave the room and they're like, do you hear him say we killed her or killed her or something like that when they're out of the room and this, and, and I put, and I'd said like, this is obviously a, some kind of smear campaign. People didn't like that language I use, but that's when you send somebody And let, let me tell you why. First of all, it's not a public video. It was deemed inadmissible by the judge. It wasn't presented at trial but then somebody leaked it and point people to this place. On top of that, what wasn't mentioned is the fact that the video was sent to the FBI prior to trial to analyze the audio so they could confirm to the jurors that they heard Christian confess. And the FBI analysis said, there's no confession here. That's not what that is. You can't hear anything. It's unintelligible. It's not a confession. So it was thrown out. Whoever leaked it, gave it to that other group points them to the timestamp where they posted saying, do you hear the confession? And just forgot to mention the fact that the FBI anal- analyzed it for the state and determined that there was no confession there. Uh, so it was very, it was done very intentionally. Uh, I don't give a shit if anybody wants to go look at it. I'm not posting it. There, There are some serious issues and violations going on there. I'm sure there's going to be some legal ramifications for that that I don't want to be a part of. So I'm staying away from that. So that's out there, but but that just brought up the whole thing. Make sure if what you're looking for is the official page that is endorsed by this podcast, it is the official Truth and Justice podcast fans page. Any other page that's using my likeness and my logo art or any of that stuff is not me, has nothing to do with me. And I think that's all that needs to be said about that video, unless either of you have anything to talk about it. No, I'm good. No. Um, oh, I will also say if you watch it, Other people were like, well, it's it's uh, it's still good to watch because we get to see, you know, this this interrogation of Christian. Go ahead and watch it for an hour. In the first hour, it is 40 minutes, exactly 40 minutes of Vargas explaining how, listen, man, I'm not going to bullshit you. And that type of speech that a cop will give a 40 minute monologue of him doing that, just just him talking. 40 minutes in, he finally says, What do you think, Christian? And Christian says, Man, it's been six years. I don't remember dates and times, so I think it's better if I have a lawyer. And then the cop goes on for another 25 minutes, and then he walks out of the room. And then there's this supposed confession, which, if you do listen to it, notice what you hear a millisecond after you hear the sound. You hear the door, you could when the cops leave, you can hear the detectives right outside the door talking. And then you hear this muttering and the door close right then. My brain hears me close this door, but that's probably not even true because what the FBI said was you can't hear anything. But if you believe that was a confession, then he was standing three feet away from the door as the cop was leaning in to close the door and then muttered a confession to the cop right there uh, is what that was. So feel free. Check it out if you want to. I don't care, but there's nothing. There's nothing to it, in my opinion. Uh, moving on, the episode you guys did with with Doctor Shilo and Doctor Scott, you already did the follow up on it. But me just weighing in the big the big thing that what I said, and I think some of it was on the air and off the air, is like that Javi's hiding something. Like I I have this, so I agree when they said, uh, I, I think both Doctor Shilo and Scott, and both of you guys too, kind of agree. Like like it seems like there's a secret there. Like like there, there's a secret. I don't know if it has anything to do with the case, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to point out. I concur with that very much. There's to me, there's some overselling. There is um, the biggest things. I think, Janet, you brought this up. That was it was interesting to me that he immediately says and we learned in this week's interview that the, the timeline of things were Javier goes up to the crime scene. Does that brief little interview at the crime scene with one of the officers there? I don't think it was even a detective. They bring Jacob in because he's the ex-boyfriend. He keeps saying, talk to Javi. He's the key. Talk to Javi. He's the key. Talk to Javi. He's the key. After they talk to Jacob, they talk to Javi. And then so there's a little context. Now we heard him kind of out of order. And then we hear, you know, is there anybody that you think you can clear? Well, you can clear my cousin Jacob. He could never do anything like that. I found that odd that he jumped out at that like that. And then um, definitely got the impression that he was hiding something. And definitely – there's something with the relationship that's probably none of our business, I think. He really is selling the fact that he's very close to Becky, that he's the most important person in Becky's life. I don't necessarily think that has anything to do with the crime, but I definitely I've, – I've listened back to it again, and I just hear it over and over and over again. It's very important to him for the police to know that he was the – the important one in Becky's life that he was the closest to her that that she was the most important thing to him but i just i just want to touch on those those couple things is basically concurring with what you guys came up with so just to
0: clear up one thing that i think a, a few listeners had a question about is the timeline of interviews so so the interview we heard this week Jacob's interview actually takes place before Javier's police interview correct, correct. yes okay and i think that's big because i think a lot of listeners assumed the other way because of the yeah. way we heard them
2: i thought so too until I, like i i assumed i guess i was assuming through the timeline that they talked to javier then they mm-hmm. talked to jacob but no they had talked to jacob first so that question we keep hearing about well what if jacob told us they hadn't broke up mm-hmm. that was because they had talked to jacob and you guys heard that interview
0: yeah that is the one big note i had is that if that is true that's why we kept hearing that
2: yeah and because jacob for sure didn't mention that there was a breakup
0: No.
3: In fact, yeah, despite multiple opportunities.
2: Before we get into this, do you have any more housekeeping? No, I'll cover the rest, I think, at the, at the close. So, yeah, I, th- I think we're good because I want to let's get into and get into Jacob's interview.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: Well, I just have one quick thing that I wanted to follow up on uh, regarding the Shiloh and Scott conversation, which was that Scott didn't have a chance to um, form a, a full opinion. But Shiloh and Bob and Zach don't know this did send me uh, what she's currently thinking about who the target was. So oh, happy to hear that. I did Ooh, follow that? up and did ask. And she says, we now know that Vicky and John were homebodies and almost always together. Therefore, if one of them was a the target, they would almost certainly have to be murdered at home. If Becky was the target, there was ample opportunity to snatch her or kill her when she was alone, perhaps coming and going from work at odd dark hours where no one would miss her for a while and giving more escape time to the perpetrators. It's for these reasons that I believe Becky was not the target,
2: and I, I agree with her. You know, Jim still leans towards Becky being the target, mm-hmm. and as I'm gonna at the close of this episode, you know, I'll share a little bit more. I, I'm just, I'm certainly not not settled on the fact that she is or isn't the target, but that's definitely the way that I'm I'm leaning. Um, is is that it's I just don't see. A motive, But I'll t- I will tell you this, the the Javier inter- or the Jacob interview definitely got my hackles up a little bit, uh, which we'll talk about throughout this th- through the questions. We'll talk a little about that. And I, I also do want to mention, too, I forgot. I also did one thing that there's always somebody in the YouTube chat blowing up about how Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott didn't know when they did the interview that um, that Robert actually contacted Becky first. Uh, mm-hmm. from when they did the analysis of Robert's interview. Well, they as you heard they've heard the whole season, but i did I, I do want to point out that I talked to Dr. Shiloh about that bef- beforehand. It just and just told you know just, I want to make sure in case you didn't catch it while you were listening that that was the case and she said it doesn't doesn't matter. I don't remember the way she termed it, but she's like, yeah, it's a, it's a factual error, but it doesn't change my opinion of the interview or anything knowing that. And she'd gone back and reviewed that. So that that has been addressed um Great. with Dr. Shiloh and Scott and it was Nothing. Yeah.
3: I really liked what she said about the, they had ample opportunity th- that it would make more sense to seek Becky out in circumstances that would be easier to handle than what happened here. I-, I I don't think that we had talked about it from that exact perspective before. So I thought that was a really kind of cool, fresh piece of that perspective.
0: Yeah, it is. I'm glad you did that. That's awesome. That is a great perspective because, because still what we know is Becky seems to, have way more known risk factors than John and Vicky. Yeah. Which is what kind of alludes to her being the target. But but this whole premise actually makes a lot of sense for them. They have to be killed at home if they're home
2: bodies. Yeah. And there's the fact that, you know, we're following the path of the original investigators who were investigating Becky as the target. So everything we're seeing is based around that. And I want to point out too that people are like, Becky, you know, there are people that are like, Becky's not the target, so let's move on. And I know I've already addressed this before, but say okay, first of all, we don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, just because we have some – we have profilers and psychologists that that have kind of on both sides of it actually doesn't mean that that's necessarily the case. But also, if you, there have been people that have said, like, we're not getting a lot – we're not getting any information. We're just getting – like, if you don't think you're getting information, you're not listening. I told you this a couple weeks ago. This This season is not going to be an entertaining season of truth and justice. I am not here to entertain you this – because this is – this is the most – information driven season that we've ever had because we have all of these because somebody else had posted they said well this is a season that we've never had where you really have to listen to the follow-up because I'm not giving commentary or I'm playing these interviews for you and I'm not like breaking them down doing commentary it's because there's so much there I truly want this to be crowdsourced so I want to just give you everything and then let's break it down and discuss it and then give you everything for the next step and break it down but we're not only learning about Becky in these interviews. If you're paying attention and you're listening, we're getting little nuggets about John. We're getting little nuggets about Vicky. We're getting little nuggets about the home life and how they, it's just it's all coming from a lot of different directions And it's a string that we need to, to pull. And I want you guys to know that, you know, I, we're, I've not I've not cleared Robert and Christian. It's just that right now. We've started pulling the string of of Jacob and Javier. First, you know when I got sick, when we didn't have much of a choice, and I just had to play an interview. But then that's you know Javier's led to Jacob, and then uh, and and then this coming week, and we've got to keep pulling the string and see what's at the end of it. And it could be that they're cleared, but that that's what we're doing. We're, this is this is not going to be lots of cool music and and changing voices. This this season we'll have some of those episodes. But we're just we're just I'm giving you everything that we have in the case file so we can all work together and figure this thing out.
3: I'm very happy with the way that this has been going. And I think it's been amazing to I mean, I'm biased because I'm more a part of the show than I have been in the past. But I I kind of feel like everyone's more a part of the show than they have been in the past with the live YouTube and such great feedback coming in. Just as a note to exactly what you were saying in terms of getting information, I thought this was so fascinating to hear the cops say, now, who are you again? what are you doing here you have to help me out here because i don't know what's going on and then even said you see we don't have anyone telling us go talk to these people i thought that was so interesting and i mean just to hear it from the cop's mouth like we have no idea who to talk to or where to go in this investigation hearing that from his mouth Mm -hmm. in an interview i was like wow this is very telling
2: yeah i thought so too and and man, I, I I hate to this this cop this dude seems like a nice guy, you know. But God damn it, <laughs> like I wish somebody would do a good interview. He's Very different than the other the other yes. guy that we heard last week, but in a different way. Like it's just like like Jacob saying things. I'm like, oh, there's a follow up question. Nope, let's just <laughs> move on to the next thing. I'm like
3: God I know, damn and it. he's like, gosh, I have so many things I could ask you, but I don't even know where to go next. Like oh right. no.
2: In in his defense, we know a lot more about the case than he did. Of course. Sure. But frustrating. No, again, I'm not uh, even
3: criticizing him. I'm just saying like, look, look, he's telling the cop is telling us where his head is at in this moment. They don't know what's going on, you know?
0: Yeah. I thought Jacob's demeanor was kind of interesting as well because he was just kind of like, yeah, I I brought food and I'm hungry. And like, he was just so
2: not present at point. It seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. I want I want to get into real quick your guys thoughts on the interview, and then mm-hmm. we then we got a ton of questions to get through. I'll say this though that I know I know that 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 a few episodes back, Janet is Janet is not Team Robert. I am not Team Jacob at all. After this, after the interview, yeah. did not like what I saw at all in this, and I'll, I'll break that down a little bit. But what were your guys thoughts?
0: Uh, I mean, just what I've already stated was I was curious about the the timeline because because we had heard in the past or at least what we had heard in the past, it seemed like that was the correct timeline. That they talked to Javier and then they got to Jacob, but knowing that they didn't get to Jacob or, or that they that they got to Jacob first and not Javier uh-huh. and that, that where he never brings up the breakup, I think that's really interesting. I don't know if Jacob even knows they broke up, honestly, right. or if he's really hiding that or, or what has happened there. I mean, I think that's a big question for me. And then, which I know a lot of listeners caught this, is him, him continually saying that he's not a jealous person. He has to continually repeat over and over again that he's like, mm. "I don't care. I'm not a jealous person." No, I don't care. I don't care what she does. I'm not a jealous person.
2: Everything he was doing to me seemed like what would be d- described as overselling. Like mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. overselling the whole even the nonchalant attitude and like, "Oh man, I brought some pizza in here." Mm-hmm. And I got the, the yeah, he's definitely very and he had just you heard that he had just talked to Javier's dad the DA investigator, in the hallway right before he came in. He comes from a law enforcement background. So maybe that explains some of the comfort, like Mm -hmm. the breakup thing. And just not mention it. But like at one point I caught, he said, you know, like, we just got along and we never fought, and that's why we're so good together. I'm like, so what? Do you think he's hiding the breakup? Or do you think that
0: she broke up with him and he doesn't know?
2: I don't know. But from – was, wasn't was it Javier that said... We're going to get into that question, so mm-hmm. we'll move we'll on. Uh, yeah. There. I thought it was Javier who had said like that they like bickered and fought all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I so do believe like, it's Javier like that said his that. His version of what that relationship looked like was way different than what Javier's version was of that relationship. Yeah. Um, Janet, what were your thoughts?
3: No, I agree. I mean, it really felt like he was minimizing. It felt like he knew it would be a problem. Again, total speculation. I don't know this kid, but... It felt like he went in knowing that it's never good to be the guy who just got broken up with. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like he knew going in he was not going to reveal that and that he was going to undersell how well he knew her and how much she meant to him. Because it was he was really nervous. And that doesn't mean that he's responsible for anything or he's guilty of anything. But again, we keep hearing from each of these kids like I'm from a law enforcement background. You know, my family's in this. My dad does this. My mom's a this. Um, And so to have some working knowledge of how things work and what you might expect someone to focus on. I feel like he was, you know, oh, man, I just saw her every once in a while. You know, she's real sweet. I'll never know. You know when he's like, "Do you think this could become more serious?" And he's like, "I'll never know." It's like I don't know. It really sounds like you guys broke up. So what,
2: mm-hmm. one thing, I, one thing I picked up on is that the guys with the law enforcement background, right, Javier and Jacob, are they're very aware of their cell phones and what that evidence means. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Whereas, which you know, again, call it bias, whatever you want. But when I'm li- when I'm listening to Robert and Robert's interview and reading Christian's interview. They're not, like they're just telling. I say this, so they both give their versions of what happened that night. Yeah, we were doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. They're not re- referencing a cell phone or anything. They're just, and their cell phone records are pretty much lining up with all that stuff. Yeah. Their stories are lining up with each other. Then you got this other group, where all their their stories are completely conflicting with each, with each other. And they're just like, well, I know I called her at this time. You can see here, look at my phone records. You can see this and that. While a, while pointing to the phone records. There were multiple occasions where Jacob's like, oh, I did this. I called here. I did this. I said, that the records do not reflect that. Now, some of it came from home phone so that we wouldn't have – we don't have his home phone records. I know some people asked about that. Um, but like the whole – my phone was off all day. I was vegging out. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what I was watch- – I can't name one single thing I watched on TV all day. And then I went to my car and plugged my car into the car charger to text Becky. But then it was still off and I had no signal for the re- – like why didn't you just wait until it charged and get your phone like what but the the part
0: that didn't i mean that part didn't really strike me that strange if he if we known he's a a known marijuana user uh-huh yeah i mean if he sat on the couch and smoked weed all day i have a lot of friends that do that and couldn't tell you what they watched because they sat on the couch and smoked weed all day they watched something and giggled and laughed but they don't know what they watched all day
2: yeah i guess that's possible to me like did not be able to you know, like I, I sat and watched Golden Girls all day. I couldn't tell you about the episodes, but I know I sat and watched okay. the Golden Girls. Hot, you know what I mean? It was, but but that's that's all just anecdotal stuff. But it was just stuff that that I noticed. The phone call stuff was super weird. The and then he says, "Well, I know I saw I've been getting these missed calls all day. Well, how mm-hmm. the hell did you know you had missed calls all day if your phone was off?" And then he straight says, "Like in the morning, you know." that my mom called me and that's why I was calling Javier. And I checked his phone records this morning. There's no calls from his mom in the morning. Like he gets up and he starts calling some 800 number a few times. I don't know Mm -hmm. what the the number was. I couldn't track it down. And then Javi called him and then he calls Javi. It wasn't until like 11 o'clock in the morning where he has an incoming call that might've been his mom. I don't know if it was his mom. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all very, as I said, as I said, my hackles, my hackles are up a little bit
0: so what about the part where the the detective asks about searching his car i mean that seems pretty open and honest he's like yeah go search it he's like there's weed out there hopefully that doesn't get me in trouble but you're welcome to search my car yeah
2: i mean i took from that there's nothing in his car to get him in trouble yeah and i'm not saying i think he definitely had something to do with this but it definitely changes perspective of things when and also we heard another confirmation of Uh, Even on Javi's side, we heard, yeah, Javi was going, he was supposed to go up there and see her, and then she told him, no, don't come, which, remember, back to, and I think that got minimized, in my opinion, it gets it's gotten minimized, and maybe it's just me, minimized too much by kind of everybody, but Javier goes through half of that interview saying, I was just going for a drive, Corey and Nick were at work, and I had nothing to do, and it's, it's perfectly normal for me just to go for a drive, and then later it's like, oh, yeah, well, she said to come up here, and then Jacob says, "Yeah, he was going up to see Becky. That's why he went up there. Yeah, uh, you know that the, the, there was he was hiding that. It seems to me, and I don't know why. Um, but with, with those are just some thought. That's me trying to data dump from two weeks of stuff. Uh, right. So let's go. We, we got a ton of questions that are going to dig us in even deeper. So, Janet, why don't we get into those?
3: Sure, sure thing. Uh, okay. So Danielle says, and uh, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, what are the timelines for Javi and Jacob's interviews?" Jacob kept saying to speak to Javi. He also asked how they got his name, which I wanted to make sure we covered just because, yeah. It sounded that during Javi's interview, he gave them Jacob's info, but during Jacob's interview, he said no one had spoken to Javi yet. So just to double clarify that.
2: I think they – so we know Javi was up at the scene, and he talked to an officer up there. I don't know if the detectives knew that, uh, that he talked to an officer or made that connection yet. But we also know that on Monday morning – The officers interviewed Claire and Janelle. Uh, And so that I'm assuming is where they got the idea to talk to Jacob next because they they had both said that he had that she had broken up with him um, a few days before. So I'm guessing that's where the name came from. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So you have uh, Javier on the scene, then Claire and Janelle, then Jacob. Then Javier again with a, with a formal interview, um, and there's somebody in the YouTube chat had mentioned that I guess later in the case file somewhere says that Jacob uh, cleared up the breakup issue when he was when it was brought up again, uh, and he says that uh, they did break up, uh, they had a fight and she broke up with him, but they kept talking, so she wasn't mad, so he thought they were that, that's how he explained that. I guess I don't know I haven't seen that yet.
3: Okay. Uh- Betsy says, just again stating my displeasure with the interviewer. He laid out his incompetence as soon as the interview started and continued to dispute throughout. I'm not sure he repeated one bit of information back correctly to Jacob. Talked about his maybe just not having a lot of information going in and doing the best with what he had and what he could what he could come up with on the fly. Bless his heart. Uh, um, anything you want to add to that?
2: No, I was. I felt the same way. It was again. I don't think this is a bad guy, but he just. The, the, my my biggest issue was one the lack of follow up and then also he was like he wasn't listening like jacob would say something and then he'd repeat it back to him but he would repeat it back wrong uh-huh. like he would change what jacob had said yeah a bunch of times but i mean it is what it is
3: i know we had we've talked about how many people immediately keyed in on you know not understanding this this breakup versus non-breakup thing—we're still talking about it in the chat, as you see. But Chris says also, um, you know, feeling trouble about not knowing about uh, the interview. Was he re-interviewed? And then that kind of takes us too into the alibi for Sunday night. A lot of questions about Jacob's alibi for the time of the murders. Uh, do you want to dig into that a little bit and clarify?
2: He doesn't have one. So he's, you know, he says he was home. He was all day. He's kind of, I don't know if his roommate is Austin Alba, who's the one that had, that went to Denny's and had a physical altercation with Becky the day before the murders. He says he doesn't remember, but then later says, oh, well, we both had class the next morning. So he would have been, we would have both been home. Um, And we'll get into, we're going to get into Austin's interviews in the, in the coming weeks here. So we'll get more into that stuff as we, as we move along, but you know, he doesn't, definitely doesn't have a verifiable alibi, and his phone records don't give him an alibi either.
3: Okay. Yeah, Veronica had asked. We talked about the vegging out and watching TV, um, and all kind of said, well, you know, that actually might not that be that weird that he couldn't remember what he was watching if he was just kind of high and chilling. So uh, that yeah. doesn't necessarily tell us one thing or the other. Um,
2: I see Nick in the chat also said that, that Jacob said that his mom called while he was on his way to the DMV, so it wouldn't be on a cell phone. Yeah, and he asked if there was called. call. I, I don't know. So the first— incoming call from a number that I don't know happened at right around 11 o'clock in the morning that could have been his mom I don't know but Javier had already called him before that
3: hmm. uh, Megan says do we know anything about Jacob's brother did police talk to him and verify Jacob's account of his trip to visit him did they look into his whereabouts on Sunday
2: uh yeah so the in the in the, a summary file that I that I just read they didn't really verify if he went to talk to his brother at least from from in that particular file. But what it does say is that he was also lying about when he went up there. He said he went Thursday and was in Costa Mesa from Thursday through Saturday, and his phone records show him pinging off of towers in Palm Desert all the way through Friday night. So hmm. he wasn't in Palm. He wasn't there. Yeah, there was the and, and you kind of like cross. It. One thing that I want if if someone in the group has time, and if not, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna do it once we get all this information out there. But we need to start creating a timeline. Where we're where we're putting everybody's different accounts of what was happening at different times, because you know you got Javi talking about going to the um, was it Sky Valley or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I, it, you know it was like I think it's like thirty miles outside the valley, um, out of the Coachella Valley to go for the cell phone that day. Jacob mentions that, but then Jacob's going to Costa Mesa. But then when you check his cell phone records, he did definitely did not go to Costa Mesa. He was still in town Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, all the way up until Friday evening. That's all doc And, and, and we're gonna dig into all of that stuff too as we move along, as we keep as I said, keep pulling on this string here to figure out what's going on there. But that part was verified, so we looks like he if he was in Costa Mesa, it was either late, late Friday night. I think he was in Costa Mesa, or he just was there Saturday. And then by Saturday night, he was back. So it's definitely not, He was definitely not there when he said he was there.
3: Okay, yeah. Kathy had a question about that, too, about verifying him being at his brother's. And, um, you know, Kathy says uh, she's not convinced that Becky was a target, but can't k- discount Jacob being the most recent ex or current boyfriend since he didn't say anything about the breakup. And uh, a lot of questions in – I see some in the YouTube chat now, as well as from Nick and Danielle in our uh, Facebook questions. How and why did he get cleared as a subject? Was he fully cleared? Do we know that?
2: Yeah, sort of. So in that summary that I read, and I'll, I'll get that posted for everybody, it lists, and it was when, it was in 2007, after they had, like in October of 2007, they had gone back and done more search warrants and they had interviewed Robert and Christian again. And then they put out this summary that said who the persons of interest are. And it lists Robert and Christian as the persons of interest, essentially just because of the fact that there was a planned hike, and they thought the cell phone evidence might indicate that they were up in that area. They, didn't, they weren't alibied because of their cell phones. So it says they are the they are the most crucial persons of interest. And then it lists other players, like Javier, and it says he's, you know, he's his cell phone shows that he was down at the valley at the time of the murders. And then it says Jacob, and in the Jacob Santiago section, it just says. He lied about going to Costa Mesa. He wasn't there. His cell phone records don't alibi him. Uh, his roommate doesn't alibi him. Uh, he said he was in Costa Mesa from Saturday, th- from Thursday through sa- uh, Saturday. He wasn't. We know he was still in town till Friday. And then it moves on. Like he's not listed as a person of interest. It's, it's it like gives all this shit that says here's some problems with Jacob. And I think it also mentions the breakup thing that you know that they were broken up, but he says they weren't broken up. Or, so it, it lists all that stuff, but then it doesn't list. So I, I, how they cleared him, I have no idea because it's definitely from when they kind of closed the case before, it, they didn't close it. But when it kind of became a cold case, he was, they had nothing but bad things to say about him in the report, but didn't list him as a person of interest.
3: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See
2: terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Eric says, uh, how do you know about the body in the wheelbarrow? If Javi told him, then I think it makes it more likely that Javi also told Robert.
2: Yeah, and this again comes back to when we're starting to, when we're starting to cross-reference all of these things, right? So Robert says that javier told him about the wheelbarrow javier says he didn't javier says he didn't know about the wheelbarrow until the 21st when he talked to drew or one of the sisters tiffany or drew and and they told him about it that's when he he says that's when he found out that he didn't tell robert well robert says we we hear robert say that his wheelbarrow he heard about it from javier we hear that bit at the end of the interview where the cop says you know there's rumors we don't want to and then you hear robert saying wait was the wheelbarrow part not true also, then you hear again. We have these two different friend groups, right, that are going on. So then you hear Christian gets interviewed a couple days later, and and his it, it's like it's like what you would almost expect in a game of telephone. Like Javier heard heard about the wheelbarrow from somebody, tells Robert. He's kind of questioned with Robert in the in his interview. He says something to Christian. Christian says he heard it was like a, he thought it was a, a dumpster. You know how things kind of get to change. Where in Javier's side, everybody's like, "No, it was a wheelbarrow." Javier told me it was a wheelbarrow. Javier told me. Well, Javier says he didn't hear about the wheelbarrow until the 21st, except for Jacob is interviewed on the 20th and says Javier told him about the wheelbarrow. So, and when was
3: the and when was Javier up there at the site asking about the wheelbarrow?
2: The morning, the morning of the 18th, he wasn't asking about the wheelbarrow. Though. Oh, was he was sorry. Just, okay, sorry. he was just but he was up there that day. Um, we also hear Javier say that the, he saw three body bags come out. Or Jacob said that Javier told him that, but Becky's body was, I think, removed like in the middle of the night. Hmm. Uh, No, it wasn't. It was still there in the daylight, so that's that's possible.
0: Well, and and Javier or Jacob says that Javier told him there's there's the three cars. They're all there. Nothing was
2: taken. Right. That all came from Javier. Yeah, or supposedly that's what Jacob Mm -hmm. Jacob says. So there's there's uh, again there's issues there. I don't know what it means, but it seems to be pretty obvious to me that. Robert got the information about the wheelbarrow from Javier. And again, we talked about this when we did an episode. He's also – he's describing things that were found by police that the killer wouldn't know, right? Like, like the bodies were completely charred and they had to bring them out. They couldn't tell what sex they were. And people you know at, at first glance were like, oh, he's got guilty knowledge of the crime. Well, the, well, the killer wouldn't know that. They just know that they, where the bodies were, what happened, the position they were in when they lit the fires. But so so it, it all those things lead me to believe that Javier probably told him but then Javier's insisting he didn't tell him Javier's insisting he didn't know about the wheelbarrow why is he lying about that
3: When does he say that when does he insist that he didn't know cuz that's not an interview we've heard yet right
2: Yeah I think it was in the ones we heard a few was uh, it? a few weeks ago oh. Or well he says that he says that I don't know that he was directly asked about telling Robert. He testified to that in trial, that he didn't tell Robert.
3: Okay. Well, I think that's interesting because
2: that – And and I may be crossing things over my mind too because did we not hear that he heard – I believe it was in one of the interviews he said that he heard about the wheelbarrow on the 21st from her sister. I believe we did hear that. Perhaps. Yeah. I
3: just wasn't sure if we had heard – I don't remember hearing from Javi – in an interview, that he did not tell Robert. I don't think we've heard that yet. And no, YouTube no, you're me... right,
2: you're right. That oh, that was at trial. Okay, he so that's, that the didn't... reason
3: I'm asking that is for the obvious reason, that he, it becomes very important if you are looking for ways to shine a light on Robert. It's very helpful to have Javier be able to say like, no, 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 I don't know how he knew about it. I didn't tell him.
2: Right, so, yeah. So we, we heard him say that he found out from the sister on the 21st yeah, Jacob says he told him on the 20, on the twentieth he had already told him. Uh, so we have that it was at try. Now I'm thinking about it. it was at trial where he said that he didn't tell Robert. Um, I want to address real quickly too in in, in chat. Somebody just popped in and was like, "Well, this basically this case is super easy because Christian's DNA was on the business card, so that's game over." Um, if it was that simple, we wouldn't be doing the season. There's a lot more to uh, that that DNA and those results and all, that. and we're gonna get into all that forensics and that mess. Coming up pretty soon here.
3: Oh, I took that to be like the sarcasm of someone deciding that once they had that, they weren't gonna like. I took I took it to mean like, oh well, oh, they may, just decided may, yeah. it was that easy, so they were just gonna, you know, that was all they they decided to just go with that and run with it. Alice says, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, Alice says, what do you make of Jacob saying, "quote No, she was already end quote" when the detective is talking about Becky possibly coming home and interrupting the crime. And I missed that, so if that's oh, in there, uh,
2: I didn't miss very it. Very
3: interesting. It,
2: that was one of the times where I wanted to throttle the investigator because he was talking about you know what happened that night. First, you know, Jacob gives this real detailed description of what happened. I didn't. You know, a lot of people were really like, "Holy shit! How does he have all that information?" It's possible that's guilty knowledge, but I think that that's what the investigators thought happened. And mm-hmm. that's what probably Javier heard from his dad. And that, you know, I, I, I think, I don't know. Um, I don't think that it was necessarily guilty knowledge, but he, he says all that. And then the investigator starts to say, okay, so, you know, there's something going on and Becky comes home and Jacob's goes, like, go, no, no, she was already there. And then he just cuts him off and keeps going. And I was just losing my mind. Cause I'm like, let him finish that thought. Like, how does he know she was already hmm. there? And again, I don't know if that's, you know, that was a little leakage of some guilty knowledge or if that was just him relaying, you know, the theory that he had heard from Jacob who or from Javier, who probably heard it from his dad.
3: Right. Veronica says, what do you make of him repeating over and over that he isn't the jealous type? Zach, you brought this up earlier, too, and repeating, this is why I wanted to come in here and talk. I can't help but think he keeps telling them basically, look how helpful I am. I voluntarily came in here, so I have nothing to do with this.
2: Yeah, I just I, that to me that felt like overselling. It, it, same thing with the jealous thing. You know, I'm just not the jealous type. I'm just not the jealous type. I'm just not the jealous type over and over again. I don't know if it means anything, but I definitely took it as is overselling and just his general attitude about the whole thing was. I don't know. I just it's not that I saw it and was like, oh, I think he's guilty because you know he's so nonchalant and overselling about this. I just didn't like it at all. If that makes sense, I was just like. You sh- yeah. This is your girlfriend. You, maybe mm-hmm. you should be taking this a little more serious than this. But that's just like a personal thing, not even not so much like a guilty thing. It
0: just comes across weird when somebody repeats something like that over and over and mm-hmm. over. It, it's like, they're, like it's said in here that they're just trying to sell it. They're trying to make everybody believe yeah. whatever it is they're saying. And
2: maybe it's just the fact that he's been around law enforcement his whole life and he's comfortable. I don't know. But it d- definitely gave me the icks.
3: Yeah, there were a couple of things that I don't think – Again, I don't know if they matter. It's not that. But, you know, the whole idea of one of the things he said when he said, you know, they got stuck in the friend zone. Once you're stuck in the friend zone, you know, it's hard to get out of that. That's a Mm -hmm. weird thing to say. Um, That Mm -hmm. really implies that you think that somebody wanted it out of the friend zone. Again, just that's just like hyper analyzing. But that was that was sort of an interesting thing for Jacob to say, because I that to me that's, implies something underlying that you know what I mean, and then also uh, just the sort of like struggling to account for stuff. Like, you know, again, these, these teenagers who are sort of looking for reasons when they're questions on something. Like, he did say, Oh, Javi's up at a going away party for a friend, and then that seemed like the detective said, Was are the people that he's with friends with Becky? and he said something like, No, they're just acquaintances. And then, so, and then, but then later he was like, no, I'm sure they're all talking about Becky and their memories of her. It was like, he's just sort of, it felt like there was just some kind of like, I guess I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I'm now trying to account for why I'm saying all of these things, which felt like some kind of tap dancing. Like, oh, uh, I need an answer for this. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Because he was like, because the detective said, well, weird that he's in the party and mood. Yeah. And then, uh. Then he's like, well, no, they're not partying. Like, you just said it was a party. And I think they were up at Nick Coraline's house is what was going on.
0: Well, that's when he said, no, it was a kickback. We were just we were just doing a kickback.
2: Yeah.
3: Right. And then there was one more thing where I just – it was interesting that he – when they were kind of over-talking each other that Jacob said, you know, no, Javi feels bad. He feels responsible. I just heard him say he feels responsible. But then that – yeah. Um. Okay. So ba-ba-ba-ba. quickly let me get back to this – Phone records. A lot of questions about the phone records. Amanda, can we add a breakout of Javi, Jacob, Christian, and Robert's accounts per their interviews of Saturday, Sunday, Monday to the phone record document? I just feel like I need a visual to really gather a clear picture of what was happening at that time and make sense of the timelines and what might be missing or a discrepancy. Any takers?
2: Yeah, I'm hoping that... And somebody in the chat said that they were already working on that. I didn't catch who it was, but um, I, I agree. So that for me, it was... This was what's going on, you know. I'm trying, like this week, I'm trying to put the episode together for the week. I'm trying to continue investigating as though I was just strict investigating the case. And then there's all these little side things, like, and so if someone wants to pitch in and help do that, like go through all these interviews with a fi- with fine tooth comb. I'm gonna try. To, I'm gonna get transcripts up for everything we have transcripts of. I just this another thing I gotta do is I've gotta I've gotta go through you know a hundred page transcript and find the three spots where they set a phone number and redact them before I can put them up. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I'm the same way. I want to see a visual where you know, if we take everything, like this is what Javier says happened here. Here's what Jacob says happened here. Here's what someone else says happened here. Here's what the phone records say happened here. Where we can, where we can see where in a linear fashion where the conflicts are. And maybe there's a team of people that want to get together and do that. So, so let me know either through social media or through email or whatever if anybody's willing to to help out with that. It's if not, again, it's something I'm going to do. I've got the whiteboard all cleared off, ready to start putting it together. Um, it's just a matter. It's just, it's just hard to find the time.
3: All
0: yeah.
2: this.
3: Well, Rebecca and Kate and Julie all had similar questions about trying to kind of match up, find those discrepancies, see if there aren't any, then great. Um, and, uh, and do, does everything kind of drive with the interviews of hobby and, uh, and Jacob. Um, so everybody's got those questions. Yeah. If there's anybody who wants to, to jump in there um, and uh, work on that. Great. Uh, Stacy says, can you remind us where you read about Jacob's roommate coming into the work and yelling at Becky? If it was an eyewitness, they could have been mistaken.
2: Oh, uh, it's a bunch of people. I mean, Javier said it, um, that it happened. There were some, some of the Denny, the later interviews with Denny's manager. There's like, I don't remember the exact all, but there's like four or five places where we see that it happened. And then two or three places where we find out that it was Oscar. Awesome. Cause pe- some people said that they thought it was an ex-boyfriend. And then Javier, Javier specifically said, "No, I was there. Javier was there with them." Um, from what other witnesses say, that he was he was there, and it was Austin Alba who did that. It had nothing to do with Robert. Um, so it's it's multiple sources.
3: Okay. Yeah. Well, Zena, if if that's confirmed yeah, Zena mentions Jacob said his roommate was merely an acquaintance of Becky's. I've never stormed into an acquaintance acquaintance's place of work and started a fight.
2: And th- that's another thing that you know, as far as like things that are omitted. The 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 breakup is omitted. Um, supposedly, he makes an excuse for that later and says that, "Oh, well, since they were, she did break up, and since they thought, since they were talking, he thought it was okay." But then he's like directly asked about about Austin and says, "Oh, well, they were just kind of acquaintances." When he had gone there and he had this whole altercation with her, literally twenty four hours before the murder, well, that de- just gets left. The detective out. asked if she
0: had any beef with
2: anybody. Yeah, like again, if, another opportunity to bring it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah um I think you know just in terms of kind of circling back because I see Nicole's comment that you know are we are we over analyzing this conversation is it going to end up you know not being important and I know we keep kind of circling back on this but I, I mean I feel the way you do Nicole just in terms of like you know we keep saying it I feel like I've said it over and over like I still feel like these are just teenagers however I do feel like anytime We do have suspects that end up going to prison. It's just, and I feel like, again, this is something I learned early on from Undisclosed. Like, just looking at all of the behavior that could have been pointed at if you had zeroed in on other suspects and gone Mm -hmm. down that road and chased it, even just pointing at that and saying, look, you know, what about all of this behavior? Or what about these discrepancies? There were discrepancies with other people who didn't end up going to prison. And to the point of the guy who wants to test the evidence, Bob, I'm real uncomfortable about the DNA on the business card. So I'm not biased. I'm not saying, like, I think these guys are innocent. I don't know what's going to come of that. I don't like it. I don't like that that guy's I don't like that Christian's Mm -hmm. DNA was on a business card. You you're going to have to, you know, we need to dive into that. And I know we're going to because that that really nags at me. So for anyone who thinks like I've just like made up my mind, I have not. I've said many times that there are things about this case. And I have not read any case documents. I don't go outside of Bob's methods. I don't read the other Facebook group. I don't do anything like that. I'm just going from what I know, from what Bob's told us. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I'm really interested to hear. I'm just keeping an open mind. But yeah, I'm, I don't like it either, guys. Don't worry. I don't like it either. I don't know how we're going to explain that away. So I'm open. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: And, and I definitely wouldn't use the phrase, like, explain it away. I mean, we're going to explain... What happened with it? Fair I, I've enough. mentioned a little bit, but there, you know, just kind of a quick. And we're going to get into the details. Of it. I'm I'm hoping to get a DNA analyst on that has reviewed this that I've that I've spoken to. But it's pretty. You, you've got a couple a couple things with that. You've got it's found way out in the middle of the desert. Uh, it, the 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 sun staining on it looks like it's been there for a long time. You've got the fact that it went through multiple labs, including the DOJ, who all said there's no DNA, and then they sent it to this private lab later, and they find DNA. On it, and then and then they find DNA, and it's like a weird like we'll get into it later. But the, I, like I said that the, obviously, if it was like oh well, here's a something that was definitely used in the crime scene that definitely has Christian's DNA in it, and Christian says he's never been there before. I never would have taken the case. It's it's n- right. nowhere near that simple. It's pretty complicated, and we'll get into it. And it's you know there are things to investigate here. There's there's no clear answer here yet. That's why we're doing this. If it was an obvious easy wrongful conviction we wouldn't be doing this season on it we Mm -hmm. wouldn't be covering it um and if it was obvious that he that he did it we wouldn't be doing the season either there's we're doing this because it's our job to figure it out
0: no i'm really happy with what janet said and i i fully back her with that because i'm the same way like i don't know what's i i listen to what comes out and that's as far as i go you know i don't go ahead i don't know what's happening you and i have some discussions outside of it but very very short discussions about it so I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Oh, no, Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer says, I feel like no one seems to have a true vested interest in Becky, but Javi. Everyone seems so dismissive of her not knowing anything about her. It makes me very sad for her. Jennifer, I feel you. Thanks for checking in with that, because I I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah,
2: I do, too. And I, I think that's part of what really kind of grossed me out with this interview with Jacob is, is being that. Man, this was your girlfriend. For I know they're not married. They, but it was like it was your girlfriend for a few months. It's just the nonchalant nature of the whole. I, I don't know, it, you know. And and that's true of a lot of the people that that have been interviewed. And it's 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 upsetting. And including you know Robert and well Christian didn't really barely know her, but with Robert, it's everybody. It's just like man, why? Maybe it's a generational thing or something. But it's like man, what? Nobody really seems to give a shit, except. You know, Javier obviously seems very, very broken up about, at least by what he's saying. Yeah.
3: Well, that's all I have for uh questions that were submitted. Um what's going on next Sunday? I mean, I have no okay, idea so, where you're going next.
2: Well, like as as I said, I I don't want anyone to get the impression that we are that, that like Robert and Christian have been cleared, that I'm convinced that they're innocent. It's I, I had to make a decision this week as I started to prepare an episode because I know th- th- there's there's some people, and, and I kind of want to get onto a different track, too. There's some stuff I want to discuss. So an element of the case that I spent all week breaking down and and piecing together and pulling sound clips from, from some of my recent interviews and some police interviews, uh, more of a classic-style episode that I started to put together on a completely different topic. But then, as I said, I'm always trying to balance that with between doing all these little side projects and then writing the episode and then also actually investigating and at actually investigating the case, after hearing Jacob and Javier, I want to keep – I want to keep like, – again, the, the analogy is just pull the string and see what's at the end of it. And so I started listening to some other interviews that are – from people that are connected. And quite frankly, I'll, I'll put this so, – so Kelly, our editor, uh, has this week's episode. It's another interview. It's an interview with Corey Donovan who we hear – Um, Javier mentioned repeatedly. I think Jacob mentions him. He's been a big part of this case. There's a long interview with Corey Donovan. I was listening to the Corey Donovan interview just as in for investigation, not necessarily for the podcast. And when I sent it to Kelly for this week to get everything edited and ready for publish, I think she posted on Instagram that this, this next episode may just completely change your whole idea of the case. It is, it's bananas. Like when you, when you hear this this crucial player. So no no going into this. You know, Javier says it was Corey Donovan he was hanging out with that night. Corey Donovan is his as is Javier's alibi, but Corey was working at Circuit City and that's why Javier went up the hill, uh, waiting for him to get off of work that night. Um so this Sunday, what we're gonna do is again, I'm not clearing Robert and Christian. We haven't forgotten about them. We're coming back. But for the for these next couple of weeks, we're gonna continue down this this path of getting to the end of this friend circle, this kind of surrounding Javier and Jacob, uh, we got. We're going to hear from Austin Albo coming up, and we're going. We got more of that stuff coming, um, but definitely tune in on Sunday. I think that uh, the results of that are going to be, uh, it, it, it. As Kelly said, it very well may change your perspective on how you're thinking about things because it definitely. I have just from listening to that interview, I have two and a half pages. Whoa. Of legal pads, of notes, of just conflicts that I that I pulled out of there. So, all right, uh, Sunday would be a good one to have your notepad ready. It's another it's another interview episode. So for those of you guys that like that, you're welcome. For those of you that don't. That's what you can. You,
3: <laughs> anyway. you dangled a conventional episode right out in front of everybody and then just threw it to oh, the side. Right,
2: right. And believe You're me, like, I like almost putting
3: almost got one.
2: I I like putting those episodes together. That's the kind of the sound design and production quality and stuff that I like. But it's like, man, I I can't I can't, we we can't go I'm trying to make this as linear as we can. And it's like so we go Jacob, we go Javier or Javier, then we hear Jacob's. And then be like, okay, well, now let's just jump over here and talk about the the criminal informant that was part of this. It's no, We're going go try to go try to get in a linear path, try to get to the end of the string, and then we'll continue back to that. Remember, nothing's on fire here. We've got time, and we're going to continue to do this piece by piece, and we're going to get it right. And with that, we'll let you all go. Thank you guys for tuning in and putting up with me being on assignment last week. Uh, and uh, make sure you tune in on Sunday, and we'll talk to you guys next week.
3: Thanks, everybody.
2: Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondering, Edited by Kelly Barron Sprink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, truthandjusticepod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby. Kathy McAlaney, Kay Wood Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website to truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Barney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver.
3: And I'm Janet Varney.
2: And this has been Dan Truth and Justice here we go i'm here
0: oh, look i'm ready to go i'm intentive oh hi guys i missed you so much uh, ahoy welcome back from your assignment bob thanks <laughs> perfect <laughs> Well, I love you. They talked, and then the other guy talked. It really <laughs> felt like reading Rainbow to me. We liked it. Kelly, I'm so sorry for whatever's about to happen. <laughs> you can go, fuck yourself. This is how I treat my
3: employees. <laughs> sorry. I can't wait till Bob calls me a dick. It's going to be great. It's
2: hard to, because you're always so nice to everybody.
3: <laughs> Except you. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. 100th cappuccino by eight, 200th customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay connected guarantee,
1: that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30-second 4G activation or one-off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only, T's and C's apply.